When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we're looking at the long range weather forecast. It really is looking quite nice, particularly across this weekend. I mean, we could be over 23, 24 degrees on Saturday and Sunday. Bring it on. I hear you cry. And a number of the papers are picking up on the fact that we are in for this. Finally, a little bit of sunshine is going to arrive on our shores. And now there's some warnings attached to that warm weather with water safety groups coming out, issuing appeals to people to please take a extreme care in our rivers in our lakes and in our seas and they're reckoning Met Air and R that we could have about two weeks of fine weather and if we're really lucky it might even stretch a little bit uh, further but lifeguards are now working at all marked Irish beaches while Water Safety Ireland the Irish Coast Guard and the RNLI all appealing to people to please follow safety rules when engaged in water sports. And obviously, if you are thinking of heading to the beach or you're going to a lake or a river, uh, please, if you're going with children, only swim where you have the lifeguards and you'll see the flags up, which will tell you, you know, the areas to swim in between the flags, uh, keeping and well done to all the lifeguards. They keep everybody safe because uh, unfortunately, last year and last year wasn't a particularly warm summer, 79 People were drowned uh, last year, which is a phenomenal amount of people. So please be careful. We want everyone to enjoy the warm weather, enjoy our beaches, our lakes and our rivers. But we want everybody to come home safe. And then the front page of the Echo today, there's a piece that uh, Sarah Horgan is writing about. And she was speaking with a high ranking Cork City fire officer. And he's pleading with parents to please do not leave your children unattended in a car and it seems that he's responded to the fact that they've had several calls to firefighters related to babies and toddlers trapped in vehicles and obviously this becomes a particular concern during any warm weather but basically the fire service are saying don't do it at any time of the year. The second officer of the Cork City Fire Brigade uh, Victor Shine says concern has prompted members of the public to contact them looking for help. He said parents often have left their children particularly an infant say that's asleep in a car seat in the belief should they be safe and out of danger but Mr Shine explained that the big problem is that what happens is the parents of course lock the car believing that that's going to keep the child even safer and then of course the difficulty arises if there's any kind of an emergency. He's warning families of the dangers and one of the main concerns obviously during the summer months is heat stroke which can have a devastating impact on babies and on young children 
and unfortunately babies and young children have died from heat stroke after being left in a car for too long and he says when an infant or a small child starts crying in a car after being left alone he said things tend to get very dramatic and they can get very dramatic very quickly you know, sp- you know he speaks about in any kind of hot weather dehydration and a child can then become very unwell so he said oftentimes they will then have to do a forceful entry now they do have all of the specialist equipment in order to break the window of the car and to break you know break it safely so that it's not going to in any Anyway, impact on the child. But and he's gone on to urge any member of the public who encounters a child that they feel is in potential da- danger to contact the authorities and to contact people like the local fire service. You know, he's, he's making the point that you get bystanders who will see a child very, very upset and obviously very overheated in a car. And some are afraid to do anything themselves in case they'll get into trouble, you know, for breaking a, a, a window. And, and I, my fear would be I do it wrong and they, you know, the glass would go everywhere. So he was saying, look, for your own security and an extra you know, layer of assurance, contact somebody like the fire service, they will come out uh, immediately. And he says that when the fire service arrive, if they see a threat to the child's health, then they do take the immediate action and they do the controlled opening by breaking a vehicle uh, in in the car. Now, they said if the child is a little bit older, say it's, you know, a two or a three-year-old, they may be able to talk to the child and explain to the child how to open the car. And obviously that's the, the best result that they can get. But they said then, obviously, they have to wait around for the parents to come and obviously a mother or a father is going to arrive and get very upset particularly if they think there's been damage done to their car and he said normally what happens is the excuse will be oh I only popped into the shop I was only going to be gone for a minute but he said that minute can tend to leave that you leave the car can become significantly prolonged you can get delayed you can be caught in a queue anything can happen so he said he's, and he says they have had some parents who get very upset because of the damage done to the child to get to, damage done to the car to get the child out but he says the child's safety is always and will always be their priority so please never even for that one minute as you're rushing in leave a child in a locked car and an absolutely gorgeous photograph in the Irish Times today of a lovely lady by the name of Bridget Tiernan and she's a very fresh and a hardy looking woman celebrating her 107th birthday at her home in Loch Duff in County Cavan and Bridget as I say pictures on the paper I mean you would never think this woman is 107 she reads without glasses at 107 and she puts her longevity down to hard work a love of family and good healthy food good on you Bridget and she's pictured reading one of her 107th happy birthday cards but on the table beside her are the seven medals that she would have received from the President of Ireland because of course when you reach 100 you get the cheque which is over €2,000 now isn't it it used to be £100 at one stage it's over €2,000 and you get a medal to commemorate you know your 100th birthday which is a lovely thing to do but every year thereafter you get another medal from the President I don't know if there's a cheque every year but there's certainly a medal every year so there she is and she has her seven medals proudly beside her on the table and as I say she looks hale and hardy we could be wishing her a happy 108th birthday next year so as I say beautiful picture of Bridget uh, Tierney uh, Tierney happy birthday to her 0818103103 and a quick email in by way of a thank you I love these kind of emails when they come in so hi Patricia I was doing some shopping in Aldi in Blackpool shopping centre today and that was dated Tuesday the 5th so yesterday I lost my wallet 
there was a considerable amount of money contained in the wallet. The person that found it went to the trouble of going out of their way to hand it into Gronerbroher Guard the station and they handed it back untouched. Person in question refused to leave their name, address or any contact details. I would absolutely love to meet the person with such honesty to simply shake their hand. I'd be most grateful if you'd have given a mention on your programme today from a very, very grateful shopper. Now, we obviously have this person's uh, contact details, uh, etc. But well done to whoever it was. Now, I don't think that person is going to come forward. I mean, if they were honest, they, what, what an honest thing to do to go to out of the way to go into Groner Broher Guard the station to hand it in. But the fact that they opted not to leave their name there, I take it they just felt this is an act of kindness and what an honest thing to do. I'll hand it in. Don't want any thanks or whatever. So we're glad to give out a public thanks in the hope maybe that that person is uh, listening who was doing some shopping in Aldi and handed in that uh, wallet especially when there was a considerable sum of money in it and I can tell you uh, the gentleman who owns that wallet is one very happy and relieved man so well done and isn't it great to see that we have honesty like that with us here in Cork. Hi uh, Patricia this is coming by a text I am contacting you about the new rules with regard to funerals here in West Cork. Did you know that with these new rules the coffin cannot be brought to the church the evening before the funeral mass like it has been done for years and years unless it's brought privately by the undertaker but then no mourners can be in attendance. Also there doesn't seem to be any more sympathising with the family allowed within the church after the funeral mass. The family must go outside and then stay standing while the sympathisers pass by them. I was recently at a funeral where the crowd was so big people were queuing up for an hour and all the while the family of the deceased person had to stay standing outside the door of the church. What happens if it's raining? Surely be to God if you've just lost a loved one you should be at least allowed to stay in the church sitting while people file up to pay their respects. Who makes these ridiculous rules? Uh, thanking you. Okay, we did discuss this earlier in the year on the programme. It got introduced by it's in the Diocese of Cork and Ross. I don't know if it's only in the Diocese of Cork and Ross. I don't know if it's happening in I don't know if it's happening in the city, but it's all to do with the falling priest numbers. They they, they literally don't have enough priests in order to do the, the, the traditional removal, which does happen as I say, in other parts of the county. So I'm assuming that these new rules for funeral rites uh, came in just in the Diocese of Cork and Ross. And what has been happening is the, the vigil prayers for the, for the deceased, they can still happen, but they can only be, they can be celebrated the evening before the funeral mass, but they can now only take place either in the person's home, if the person's been waked at home, or they can happen in the funeral home. And as you mentioned, the the remains can be removed to the church but that must be done uh, privately and as you say no mourners are, are allowed there. I didn't realise that people were not allowed to come up and sympathise with somebody inside in the church. I, is that an individual thing for each different church or not? I don't know. But I, but you're not the first to have contacted us about the removal the night before and how that now is gone. And certainly when we started speaking about it, it got introduced back in March. So that's how long it's been in, in Cork and uh, Ross. But I suppose for people who haven't attended a funeral, since these new rules came in they're only finding out about it now is it causing upset it is for some families and the picture that you paint there of you know a bereaved family standing outside 
the church and obviously then there's a delay because if there's, if there's a huge attendance in the church there's a delay then with the actual burial if everybody's coming around to sympathise with them. I mean that's the one thing about removals and having removals in the church. People are able to sympathise the evening before and on the day of the funeral but if there's only if removal and, refun- and the funeral are all taking place on the same day it limits the time that people can go up and uh, pass on their uh, sympathies but you're, you're, you're not the first who makes up the rules it is of course our bishop who decided on it but that would have been in consultation with all of the parishes as well but it goes back to the fact of we have a falling falling vocations and we've less and less priests and the priests that are left are older many of them should already have retired and they're working way beyond their uh, retirement so will we see more things like that happening of course we will if we have less and less priests within the Catholic Church 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can whatsapp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. As we heard on the news yesterday, Ireland South MEP Billy Kelleher has called on Electric Ireland to forego any profits from price hikes in order to keep costs down for consumers. Fianna MEP Billy Kelleher uh, joins me. Good morning, Chip. Billy. Good morning. Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Do you feel there's something almost immoral for any company to be profiteering during the current uh, global crisis that we're facing? Well, we are facing a global crisis in terms of energy provision. We're also facing a global crisis in terms of food provision. I think there are two key areas that are, are, are critically important to the functioning of individuals and society. So from that perspective, I do believe that there's an obligation on governments, but also on companies, um, uh, both ethically and the morality of it, to ensure that there's not excessive uh, profit-taking uh, during these particular difficult times. We all accept companies you know, have to maintain profit margins uh, so they can reinvest in their company, uh, you know, in, invest in their employees and all of that. But at certain specific times, when you have massive inflationary pressures uh, in the broader economy, primarily because of the Ukrainian war, well, then certainly I believe that companies uh, should minimise their profit-taking. And the point is, uh, a lot of companies have a, a, you know, a, a profit margin target on their turnover. So if their turnover increases, their profit is also increasing. And I, I believe at this stage they should forego that and any excessive profit that could be, uh, should be passed back uh, to consumers. But of course, Electric Ireland is slightly different to a private company because that's in state ownership, isn't it? Well, 95% well, in state ownership. Well, Yes, yes, it is. And it has paid dividends previously, uh, obviously, uh, and the parent company as well, uh, to, to the Irish government. But I just believe at this stage, rather than, you know, we going around uh, dividends back to government, etc., that the, the, the most appropriate way and the most immediate way would be uh, that, uh, you know, there would be no profit taking and that they would be passed directly back to consumers uh, in the context of reduced uh, bills. So that, w- that would be my view from the, uh, Electric Ireland. But I think private companies as well that are in the market, and bear in mind, Ireland is a very small market, so there's only a limited number of companies that are supplying large quantities of electricity and gas into the market. And I just believe that at this particular stage, the government should be very, very forceful with them. Uh, bear in mind, you know, there is other ways of dealing with this if they don't uh, come forward, um, you know, voluntarily in terms of maybe a potential withholding tax, for example, or, or windfall tax, I should say, uh, in, in terms of energy companies. Uh, this issue has actually been discussed in Europe 
uh, as we speak, the whole issue of taxing windfall profits on energy companies, uh, I would prefer if it could be done voluntarily. Uh, that you know, so uh, that there wouldn't be any excessive profit taking. Uh, gas has gone, uh, you know, has increased dramatically. The cost of electricity has dramatically increased. The cost of fertilisers have dramatically increased, and all of these are being passed back to consumers either by dear electricity bills, dear gas bills, or dear food bills. Uh, and we simply cannot ha- have that situation to continue and be maintained in the short and medium term while we're living in extraordinary times. And Electric Ireland, they've just announced another price hike, isn't it, coming into effect on, I think it's the 1st of August? Yes, uh, so there has been several price hikes announced over the last uh, number of months. Uh, and now, admittedly, I mean, companies uh, will have to pass on the cost that they have to pay for, uh, for, for, for gas. But if they, in, on top of that, have a profit margin, I don't believe that that's appropriate at this particular time um, in view of the fact that if their turnover keeps increasing because of the higher uh, uh, amounts of they're charging to people, well then uh, if their profit margin is increasing as well, uh, well then that certainly is unacceptable. So I just think it should be looked at. I think the government should be very forceful on it. Uh, bear in mind, um, you know, it, it is state-owned at the end of the day uh, when you know you, you go back through the whole parent uh, company. Uh, and I just think that that would be one area that would have an immediate impact on families that are very hard-pressed at the moment. Uh, and we are in summertime, but, you know, very quickly we'll be into September, October. Um, you know, uh, nights will be shortening, electricity bills will be increasing, gas bills will be increasing, and we just have to be conscious and prepared for that. So uh, while government has announced some measures in terms of um, transport, uh, to school transport, the back-to-school allowance, etc., you know, we do need to have a broader uh, look at how we can reduce the real pinch points, and that is electricity, gas, and obviously food. Yeah, and even though, you know, I know we're into summertime and it looks like we're coming into a bit of nice, warm, sunny weather, which is great. We haven't had the greatest summer. And, I mean, certainly during May and June, we had people complaining that it was cold and they were actually lighting fires and turning their heating on. Well, yes, look, I mean, we're, we're, we're already well into, Ju- in, in, into July now, um, you know, so you only have another four weeks of, of, of the long evenings, you know, once you hit um, 15th of August, evenings start to close in, uh, then your kids are back to school, uh, e- evenings are getting shorter, days are getting colder, uh, and, you know, very quickly people will be using uh, additional uh, quantities of oil, gas, and, uh, and electricity. And I just think that, you know, we have to look at every measure possible. And I just think that Electric Ireland being a, a a major player in the market in both in terms of electricity and gas provision would should be a company that would be, be looking to ensure while it must maintain a certain profit margin that because of the increased turnover that they will enjoy because of the uh, of the higher um, uh, bills uh, that they should not be taking a, a, a profit over and above and beyond what they had previously. Bear in mind, a lot of their over, overall costs will remain the same in terms of uh, numbers of staff, um, you know, pension obligations, uh, investment in infrastructure. The, the real issue is that they are uh, buying gas um, at, at a higher price. They're generating electricity at a higher price, but they're passing that on to the consumer. That increases their turnover. And if they're taking a, a, a profit margin on that turnover as well, that increased turnover, I think that is unacceptable. Yeah, there seems something very wrong with that. Do you know and if I, any other EU countries have asked state-owned companies to forego profits? Oh, oh yes, I mean this is happening. Uh, France oh, is has okay? already done it, and uh, and uh, and other countries are beginning to look at this. I mean, there is a, 
like there's just a, across the entire European uh, continent, uh, Patricia, you know, there is a major pressure is on. Inflation in the Czech Republic is running at around 17%. In Germany, it's 8 or 9%. Germany never, ever experiences inflation beyond, you know, 1% to 2%. Uh, having high inflation in the German economy is seen as a, a major failing. So there's huge pressure on. But in France, for example, and other countries uh, where they have state utilities, uh, the governments have instructed uh, them not to, um, or, or even to maintain bills as war and absorb some of the, the costs as well. Uh, I'm not even asking for that, but I'm certainly asking that they would not be taking any profits over and above what they had been taking previously, just to ensure that the companies maintained pension provisions, uh, employment uh, for employees, and, and, and all that they have to provide. But beyond that, I think they have to be called in to, um, you know, explain um, where exactly. Um, the, the, why the bills are going up, how much they are taking in terms of profit. Now, they may say that they will go back to the government and the dividend, but in the meantime, families have to front-load that, front that uh, in, in terms of payment. So I just think the easiest way would be just to reduce it directly uh, by, by, by passing it on to consumers. Okay. okay. Like, uh, and, and that's, and I said, I'm not reinventing the wheel on that. It's a big discussion across the entire European Union. Many uh, countries are, are looking at this and where they have state-owned co- companies, they're certainly, that certainly is an issue. And then on top of that, of course, there is a big debate around taxing windfall profits on energy companies. And, uh, you know, we, we really have to get to the bottom of the private market as well and private ownership companies uh, in Ireland that are operating there that are, can be very dominant. We, we don't know what profits uh, are being taken at the moment. Uh, and, you know, when you have a, a major increase in the cost of gas, cost of electricity, uh, I think they should also be asked, uh, you know, to, to show their books in terms of profit. And in the event of there being excessive excessive profit taking, you know, uh, Europe will, and there's a lot of pressure on in, in discussions around um, some form of uh, windfall tax. Yeah, and so you're not asking them to not make a profit, it's just a, a excessive profit. It's just at this extraordinary time. I yeah. mean, look, companies have to reinvest, they have to train their employees, they have to invest in infrastructure, they have to prevention, uh, pension provisions, all of these things. But at the same time, we're just talking about the here and now, while we have a war in Ukraine, while we have increased commodity prices, price of fertilisers is it's gone through the roofs that makes food very expensive, uh, you know, fuel, diesel, petrol as well on, on families. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, electricity and gas prices as well. And as I said, uh, at this stage, you know, we're, we're in the summer, but very quickly we will be into a, in, into a place, place where um, you have heating on, um, lights on an awful lot longer, um, you know, a lot more cooking in the, in, in, you know, heavy usage, heating of water, all of these things which will take its toll on families okay. across, con- across okay. the country. And just uh, finally, before I let you go, I saw you issued a press release yesterday calling for a basic uniform uh, uniform testing regime when it comes to the heel prick test uh, for newborns and you're looking for it to be introduced uh, across the uh, EU. I wasn't aware that the heel prick test varies from country to country. Oh, yes, it, it varies quite substantially. Um, in Ireland, uh, we do about um, nine tests um, in France, they do something less. In Spain, they do 24 different tests. So, like, they do a heel prick test, but they actually diagnose them for, for 24 different um, uh, Well, diseases. that's a huge um, difference. So, so, there's a huge variation, Patricia. And what I'm calling for is that there would be a, a uniform test across the entire European Union so that any baby born in the European Union would have the same standard um, high-end test. In other words, we would go for the, the, the maximum so that you can identify rare diseases earlier yeah. on. There is no doubt, uh, I saw some cases there recently where uh, families are, are campaigning for additional diseases um, and genetic diseases and disorders to be included in the Irish heel prick test because early diagnosis can have a profound impact on the quality of life of, of, of a newborn 
uh, if they can be uh, diagnosed early. So I'm calling for uh, the European Union because we, we're discussing about this whole health union, uh, particularly on the backdrop of the COVID, how they got involved in the, the, the procurement of vaccines and the distribution of vaccines. Uh, and I think that the European Union has a role to play in, in, in putting out you know, high benchmarks that member states should, should, should live up to. And I think one area would be in newborn, uh, the heel brick test across the entire um, the European Union, and that would be standardised to the highest standard so that we would have full um, knowledge of, you know, when a, a baby is born, what uh, disease they may have that you can treat immediately, and it would also allow us to gather a huge amount of data uh, around the entire uh, newborn population uh, on an annual basis. Yeah, and so important for that young, for the baby that's born, but for the family as well. Okay, listen, we leave it there, Billy. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is Fianna Fáil MEP for the South, Biddy Kelleher. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And I can see there's a lot of texts and calls coming in to do with the removals at funerals that was kicked off by the listener who's only discovered in the Diocese of Cork and Ross. Uh, removals now are gone. It's just the uh, funeral mass. The vigil prayers can be said in a person's home or at the funeral home, but they're not done in the church the night before. And that was introduced back in March of this year. So it's been in for a few months. You can see a lot of people have uh, are, seem to be quite upset and uh, annoyed about it. There's a lot of commentary coming in. I'm not ignoring them. I will We'll get to those comments, but I want to move on for a moment because the decision to close the Onakura Mental Health Facility in Middleton has been referred by the Oireachtas Health Committee to the board of the HSC. To discuss this move, I'm joined by Green Party Councillor Liam Quaid, who's been very public in his opposition to, these, to the closure of this centre. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia. This referral from the Oireachtas Committee to the board, is that a very unusual move? It is a very rare occurrence, um, Tricia. The, the HSC board tends to deal with um, is, issues of kind of national significance. So the likes of the, the National Maternity Hospital, um, it's an oversight body for the HSC and it was actually set up some years back to build public trust and confidence in the organisation. Um, so th- this is a very significant development and I think there's two main reasons why the Health Committee chose to refer it to the board. Um, I think, number one, the vulnerability of the client group involves people with severe and enduring mental illness. But also, um, this is, I suppose, an issue of regional significance in East Cork, but it's also one of national significance in that if this closure is allowed to go ahead, it paves the way for many, potentially many other closures on, on very um, questionable pretexts. Um, in, in their referral letter, the committee emphasised the fact that contrary to numerous HSC briefings, there's actually been no independent building report that indicated that the premises were beyond repair. And they also um, made a, ver- a very grave warning that this closure, if it goes ahead, will lead to a future re- over-reliance on institutional settings and nursing homes for people, for adults um, from East Cork requiring mental health placements. Um, they pointed out that East, it would leave East Cork uniquely disadvantaged in the broader Cork region for 24-hour staff provision. Um, I've, I've t- talked to you before, Patricia, about the disparity that this would involve with North Cork, for instance, which has almost exactly the same population size that HSC catchment as East Cork. But North Cork has 42 placements spread across um, Mallow, Kenturk and Vermoy. 
and those placements are absolutely vital to the local services and I know that from having worked in, in North Cork. The, the committee also... And yet the one and only in East Cork, somebody in all their wisdom is deciding to close it. That's right. Um, and that had a capacity uh, of 24 placements and now the proposal is that we take all of those out and what, what we only have a guarantee of, or it, it's not even a full guarantee because the house hasn't been bought yet, is that there would be a house some, in an unknown location in Middleton that would accommodate three to four residents. And that's to serve a population catchment of about 93,000 people as of 2016. That's likely to be closer to 100,000 now. Um, the committee also expressed concern about the withholding of key information relating to the Onacora Centre. For, for instance, it took nine months and an intervention by the Information Commissioner for the HSC to release meeting minutes um, that, that uh, took place last July, which showed two senior clinicians expressing major concern about the closure and its wider consequences. Um, they also pointed out that there was a, a remarkable lack of a paper trail of decision-making um, and, uh, you know, there, there was a, a failure to provide a whole range of records. Um, but, so the, I, but the big one really is an independent inquiry into what led to the decision to close the centre. I mean, that would, for once and for all, lay it bare, wouldn't it? That's right. And they actually called for an independent inquiry, not only into that decision, but also into decision-making on facilities that are drawing from the same budget, um, such as Garnish House, Glenwood House and Millfield House. And actually, last Thursday, the Public Accounts Committee have have committed to the very same in-depth investigation um, of, of, of all of the investment patterns in these services. I just want to say, you know, some of that information may be quite kind of abstract, but as, as a clinician myself, I cannot overstate how disruptive it is for someone with an enduring mental illness to be displaced from everything that is familiar to them and from their home. And I know you had Mary Hurley, um, Patricia, on your programme last year, and she talked very powerfully and evocatively about the several years it took her sister to settle in Onakura. Mm. And that was a progressive move at the time from an institutional setting in the early 90s. And you can imagine what it's like to be uprooted now in your 60s after years of painstaking therapeutic work and connecting building in, in the local um, town. Yeah, because I, I keep going back to this for, for those residents, many of them living there many, many years. <coughs> this is their home we're talking about. Absolutely. And if you were in the most robust mental health and you were told um, last June that you would, you would be moving from your long-standing home where everything is familiar to you, where you have so many connections built up, and then you're given a date of 31st of October for that to happen, and eight months on from that closure date, many of these uh, residents still have no idea where they're going. Because it is, and I mean, when I was teeing up the fact that you were coming on the programme, I, I mentioned it earlier, it's, like, it's hard to believe we're now over a year talking about this because it was June of last year when this shock announcement was made. Have any residents been moved? Well, there, the last I heard, there was 11 of the 19 uh, residents remaining. Um, that was about three weeks ago. Okay. Um, I've heard there may be two other residents on the move, but I, I don't have confirmation of that. But I think the, the the circumstances of this for remaining residents is basically watching a service being slowly hollowed out around you. And even for families who are very resolute about, um, you know, their relatives remaining in, in, in the centre, it, it's an awful prospect to see 
you know, that, that whole service just being gradually dismantled. And that's why I think um, we're really, really appealing to the HSC board now um, to use its moral authority um, in, res- in, in respect of what's happening here, because it, it's, it's really deeply troubling. Um, and it's, it's in the interests of the residents that a, a building solution be found that is n- not so, you know, um, disruptive that it involves dispersing people for, for years, potentially. Um, and it's not in the interest of the broader cohort of people with similar needs in East Cork, because the, 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 the stories of those people are not in the public domain. At least, you know, the residents in, in Onakura have some political representation and there's some degree of scrutiny of what's going on. But there's many other people in East Cork, you know, living perhaps in, in very precarious circumstances or living with ageing parents that are unable to cope or languishing in, in long-stay wards. And, and they likewise won't have a service. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, for the, it's for the future as well, not just for the residents that are there. And let's remember the Minister for Mental Health, uh, Mary Butler, uh, earlier this year, you know, you know, she also wanted the, the to overturn the decision to close it. And if if I'm, my memory serves me right, it was she was the one who was saying that there's been no independent reports to support the HSE's position that there are building issues beyond repair at Onakara. Like there, there, there isn't an independent report saying yes, the HSE are right on this one. No, there isn't. No, Mary yeah. Butler. Mary Butler has very much aligned herself with the HSC. I know. I know. I know. Um, since, but, yeah. But 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 it is, it is absolutely the case that um, that assertion that the building is beyond repair that came from a, a, an internal HSC maintenance department report, and it actually doesn't um, put forward any evidence of an additional building survey that took place to arrive at ver- that very drastic conclusion. Can I just make one point, um, Patricia, because um, in late May, the um, local management briefed our, our TDs in East Cork about a 10-bed service that they said they were committing to. And initially, this sounded quite promising. And, you know, some of us were quite taken aback that this concession, in a way, was being made. But I, I've met with local management since, with my colleague Nasa Horrigan, and they haven't um, any funding commitment secured for this service, nor have they even a site located um, so this is a new build, a, pretty much a mythical service um, as things stand. They couldn't even give me a time frame of the so-called options appraisal of sites that they said they were entering into. And um, that, that, that's the practical reality of that is for people who are currently in Onakora, guaranteed to be displaced um, around, around Cork City or County for four to five years minimum. And that's assuming that the HC are, are making that commitment in good yeah. faith. And, okay. and, and, and actually, my, 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 my apologies, I've, I've read so many reports on, on Onakara. It was actually the Oireachtas Health Committee called on Minister Mary Butler, Butler right. to overturn the, the decision and, and also was calling on her to say, look, there's no independent uh, report. So the fight goes on, yep. but all very <clears throat> stressful, Liam, for the residents and for their families. Absolutely. It's what I can only describe as an anguished kind of limbo to be left in um, because there's absolutely no clear information as to where many of the residents are going. The the family consultations that have taken place for four of the families that I've been working closely with, they were hastily arranged around the time of the Oireachtas hearings. There was one arranged in September, a week before the Mental Health Committee hearing. Likewise, in December, just coming up to the Health Committee, um, they were told in in January that they would be brought to see a house in Carrickline and they were they weren't actually contacted again about that. And then in May, we highlighted in the public domain that there had been no um, family consultation in the meantime. And suddenly, 
people were invited in for me- meaningless meetings, uh, you know, meaningless in the sense that they were, there was no information um, about where any of the residents were going. Okay. And it's an appalling situation. All right. And All right. And as I say, the battle goes on. We will no doubt talk about it again on the programme. In the meantime, uh, Liam, thank you for that. Thank you very and, much. Uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Councillor Liam Quaid on the ongoing issue of the possible closure of the Onakara Mental Health Facility in Middleton. The calls and comments coming in about West Cork and Family's not allowed to have the old traditional removal to the church the night before, certainly causing upset across a lot of people contacting us today. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A break in news at 12 mid- 11. Work today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Comments coming into the programme, firstly on energy and the piece that I did with Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Kelleher uh, calling on Electric Ireland as a state-owned company to forgo profits during the crisis. But he was also talking about the fact that the, the MEPs across the EU were debating about how to help people deal with the increase in the cost of living, living, but in particular rocketing energy prices. And, you know, across the EU, they're looking at ways of maybe imposing a windfall tax on the profit of energy companies. Companies and they, you know, they feel that there's something wrong in energy companies making huge profits at a time when so many people are struggling. Some of your thoughts on that. Carmel in Mitchestown totally agrees with MEP Billy Kelleher, but all companies need to look at their profits. If companies are making profits, profits out of this current crisis that the world is facing it is simply wrong Seamus in Middleton says look at some of our petrol companies lately who have announced profits from the prices of what we pay at the petrol pumps this doesn't make any sense we're told that the cost of petrol and diesel is due to a lack of supply and the high costs of getting fuel but then petrol companies profits have increased massively according to Seamus in Middleton in the last six months. Peter on Twitter at C103 Cork says when deregulation of the electricity market occurred Electric Ireland were told to put up their price by 10% to give competitors an advantage and a margin. I think that's when all the trouble started says uh, Peter. Someone else then sees nothing wrong with these companies making a profit. Somebody says, I live on a disability payment and I've no problem living on it. But that's okay. I don't have children. I don't have a mortgage. But companies at the end of the day are in business to make a profit. I'm afraid that is simply the way it is. And Mossy says, well done to MEP Billy Kelleher for coming on radio and facing the music regarding the high cost of inflation. But really, you've got to get to the root cause of problems and who is actually putting up all of these prices. Who is the source of price inflation? Is it as simple as pointing the finger of blame at OPEC? Are the worldwide oil barons, are they the ones controlling the prices? Could somebody please explain? So says uh, Mossy. Thank you for that. And then 
Uh, I mentioned earlier, because somebody had sent in a text, I'd only discovered that removals are not happening in West Cork anymore, the removal of the remains to the church, that instead people are now going to the church on the morning of the funeral mass and the funeral mass takes place then and there isn't a removal the night before. And this listener saying, leading to all kinds of problems, we had a funeral recently, it was a huge funeral and the sympathisers all had to be outside the church, shaking hands and sympathising with the families who were standing outside of the church and this this new contacted us thought it was all wrong can I give you a sample of phone lines lit up can I say as soon as we started talking about this because I mentioned we had spoken about it earlier in the year because it was introduced by the Diocese of Cork and Ross and the announcement was made in March of this year and it's to do with falling vocations Monica says many parishes have all merged now in West Cork for example if you're in Bandon you're now in the same area as Kilbritton or Newcestown or even Kilmurray, more and more merging of parishes will happen. But what do people expect? We have less and less priests training for the priesthood every year. Fidelma's in Clonakilty. She was at a funeral recently and we were able to sympathise and shake hands before the funeral mass. Afterwards, though, we were not. But so many people going up, talking and offering their sympathies. I can see why they've had to put a stop to this. The family have gone through enough at this stage. I can understand why they wish for the mass to end and then for people to make their way to the graveyard. In some parishes in Cork and Ross, it's certainly been done that way that you can sympathise before, but you can't sympathise afterwards. Kitty says, I can't understand how sympathising before the Mass in the church can in any way affect the priest. Where I am, many would simply go up. Some are still not shaking hands because of COVID, but they'll simply nod, might have a few words with the person and then move on. But because the remains are coming to the church about 10 minutes before the funeral mass, it doesn't allow any time for sympathisers to go up and pass on their uh, sympathies. And that's the problem because not everybody is having the vigil prayers the night before in the funeral home. A lot of people would like to spend a night in the church before burial. Well, you're still allowed to do that. That's an individual request can be made to the priest because we're told you can still, the a private removal to the church can still happen, but the vigil prayers must be celebrated either in the funeral home or if the person has been waked in their own home that can still be done that the body can still be removed to the church but just the undertaker bringing the body to the church so if somebody wants to spend the night in the church the night before they can Martha says what about training lay preachers to be available to do a removal the night before well Martha that's what is happening in Cork and Ross don't know if it's happening in other parishes uh, as well though the removal prayers that are done the evening before the funeral mass they are led by members of the parish's funeral ministry team. That's what's happening and that is obviously to take pressure off the priests as well. Uh, Breed is in Bandon. She says have a wake at home and then the church won't have a problem and then you simply go to the church for the funeral itself and again many families are opting to do that. Joe in Kilmallock says what about all the women that do fantastic work within the Catholic Church? Why not give them a chance? Well I'm, I'm assuming that women are part of the parish's funeral ministry teams I take it they are. So they are playing a role there, uh, Joe. Also, Joe says the Catholic Church needs to look at allowing married men 
into the church. Joe has a friend of his who would love to become a deacon, but because he's a married man, he can't. Lay people should be involved more. At the end of the day, in this country, we voted for same-sex marriage a few years ago. Why not give priests a chance to marry or let married people be more involved in the church? Well, that wouldn't be a decision that we could make here in Ireland. That would be the Vatican. Joe would have to make that uh, decision. And then some of your texts in on this uh, this particular uh, topic. Hi, Patricia, regarding funerals. I think the new funeral rules are actually a good thing. We have a huge shortage of priests. In other countries, you're actually invited to a funeral, like we invite people to a wedding here. It puts huge pressures on families, these massive funerals that we have here in Ireland, who sometimes have very tragic circumstances in which to deal with. You have great alternatives now, like leaving condolence messages on rip.ie or even on our own website, c103.ie. There's a condolence section there where the death notices are. Really, funerals should only be for families and very close friends the way they are in other countries. Thank you for that. Mike says, Patricia, people in Cork and Ross will have to get used to these new rules around funerals. It's only a matter of time before it is lay people in the community who will be doing a lot of these funeral services as priests will be few and far between. That's from Mike. Someone says, what a load of rubbish. Read the funerals. I know we have a shortage of priests. May I say through their own fault, but I can't see why people in their grief are thrown out of the church. If I was in that situation, I'd say my own prayers at home and just wouldn't go near the church. Patricia, I believe it's very wrong being denied our rights, not being allowed a proper removal and leaving people sympathise as we've always done in the past. We don't need a priest or a lay, per- a lay person can say the prayers and at the same time weddings are allowed, pictures are allowed to be taken and rightly so. And yet when it comes to funerals, they're changing all the rules. The church at the end of the day is our church. And Micah says, how are you doing Patricia? I'm doing well, thank you. I listened with interest to your piece about the changes to funerals in the Diocese of Cork and Ross. I agree the changes are caused, have caused a lot of stress to bereaved families and people who wish to sympathise with the family. There is no reason why sympathisers can't do what always happened in the church as once the priest or the funeral minister has finished, he or she can then leave. I think the real impact on the changes hasn't been seen by many yet. Also, the number of priests who are retired this year is huge. At least six or more parishes will no longer now have a resident priest. The way families of parishes are being set up almost also seems daft to me as they can be up to 30 miles apart in some cases. I really don't understand the geographical way this has been done. Surely parishes with natural borders would be far better grouping them together, says Michael. I don't know how they're picking the groupings of the parish either, uh, Michael, but I do know last month it was announced that four parishes in the Diocese of Cork and Ross are to lose their resident uh, priest. The West Cork parishes of Kilmean, Kilmichael, uh, Kilmichael and Morat and Temple Martin all set to lose their priest, while Manan Bridge Parish of Tracton Abbey will also lose a, a priest. In future, parishes will work together in groupings with a minimum of three and a maximum of six parishes grouped together with the priests ministering across what's been called a family of parishes. 
and lay people obviously also going to play a much greater role in parish life. Geographically, the largest diocese in the country is Cork and Arras and they already have eight parishes that are without a resident uh, priest and this all came about how they made the decision all came about with delegates from 67 parishes that make up Cork and Ross were addressed by Bishop Fintan Gavin at two meetings to discuss the new strategy and seemingly they were quite positive meetings by uh, all uh, accounts but uh, unfortunately they are now faced with some parishes not having any priest uh, priests and I saw Father Tom Hayes, he is the Enniskeen Parish Priest saying that some people were saddened that their own parish would not have a resident priest and he said there's going to be big changes ahead for parishes and that's the way it is going to be. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. General Operative is wanted for a company based in North Cork specialising in concrete polishing services. You need to have a full licence and a safe pass. CVs please to martin.cremen at cut ue.ie The White Horse in Balancolic they've got a vacancy for a bar manager you must have experience in a similar role CVs please to careers at whitehorse.ie Windmill Nursing Home in Churchtown they've got a vacancy for a nurse email recruitment at windmillgroup.ie and a joiner slash cabinet maker and an apprentice joiner all wanted at Mallow Joinery Limited. Call 086-198-3056. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Families struggling with the cost of a living crisis have been left feeling ashamed at seeking support from the Society of St Vincent de Paul because for many they have never ever had to ask for help before to discuss how difficult it currently is for many families at the moment. I'm joined by Dr Tricia Keelty who's Head of Social Justice and Policy at the Society of St Vincent de Paul. Good morning to you Tricia. Good morning. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do some people think because they are working that they feel they're almost not entitled to ask for help from somebody like yourselves at the Society of St Vincent de Paul? Yeah, I suppose that would be our experience. You know, some people, it's not easy to pick up the phone for to ask for help. But we are here. We are the only criteria for help is need. So if people are struggling with the day-to-day basics, they can contact their, their local regional office um, and help can be provided. So really, it can be a very difficult thing to do, but we are here to help. And, and, you know, as I said, the only criteria is need. And some of these people now, uh, Trish, looking for help would have been donors to VDP in the past. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's it's really affecting lots of people, people who maybe never had to um, contact SPP for help are now getting in touch because they're really struggling with the cost of energy skyrocketing. You know, back to school costs are coming around the corner as well and we're already getting calls from parents who are worried about those costs. And, you know, I think since since the last recession, you know, we've we've seen a return, people who maybe were able to get back on their feet and are now struggling again. And then there's those households who are on very, very low incomes 
who have always had to struggle um, and are now having to contact us more and more because uh, the, the, their weekly budgets just aren't stretching um, to the end of the week. And because of that, I, I mean, I'm assuming you must be hearing heartbreaking stories. Are people making very difficult choices, for example, between what bills to pay? That's right, yeah. And I suppose this wouldn't be uh, new to us. You know, people really do struggle paying for the basics because we have such low levels of income for people in low paid work or people on inadequate social welfare payments. But now that pressure is immense. It's becoming even more difficult. So lots of families, you know, will be contacting us last winter who are making very difficult choices between do I top up um, my electricity meter or do I, I do a food shop? And that's very difficult for people. That's really tough on your mental health, um, really tough on your physical health in the longer term if you're not meeting those basic needs for yourself and your family. And for parents, you know, it's often sacrificing their own needs so they can protect their children from the impacts of, of poverty and, and the cost of living crisis. But, you know, that can only go on for so long. And for people particularly living in rural areas, we're seeing a growing level of isolation because it's so expensive um, to fill the, the tank of petrol or diesel um, and people don't have access to public transport. So they're making decisions about which trips to take. So that's prioritising getting to the shops, getting the kids to school. And it means cutting yourself off from family and friends yeah. um, because you can't afford to... to Shocking. To Shocking, yeah. and it just makes the situation even worse. Then, because you're you're you have a, you have the social isolation on top of everything else that's going on, and and you know we're we're hearing. I I find this hard to believe. You know, in 2022, we're hearing of like parents going hungry to make sure their children are fed. I mean, that is a reality for some parents. It is, and it's it's very shocking, and it is very stark. But you know. Food is the number one um, item people request for help with, with, with from SVP because what happens is it's the one area people have control over um, and it's the one area that people cut first because if a big bill comes through the door or the rent has to be paid, that's what's prioritised. And as I mentioned there, it's parents who, who bear the brunt of that, trying to shield their children from it and they do various strategies to protect their children from the impacts of that. And I suppose now we're seeing really, you know, when you have a very low income, you know exactly how much is going out every week and how much you're getting in. So we're seeing more and more that people are telling us they're really seeing it in their food budgets in terms of inflation. So they had a budget of €60 Euro for their food shopping. Now the same basket of goods is costing €75, €80. Euro. So the reality is the shopping basket gets smaller because they have no additional, it's only the €60 Euro they can spend, that's it. Um, so people are cutting back on food, unfortunately. Wow. And I mean, some bit of new, good news, uh, I, I'm assuming that you would welcome it, the government announcing yesterday the 67 million euro. And of course, when you hear 67 million euro, you think, oh, a huge amount of money. Uh, the uh, the extra in the back to school uh, package. I mean, it's it's something, isn't it, at least? Absolutely. No, that will take some pressure off families. As I mentioned, we're already getting calls from parents who are worried about September time. So that extra €100 Euro will make a difference. But there's still a massive gap between what you get in, in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance and what the actual cost is um, to send a child to, to school. So if you take secondary school, for example, you'll get um, €380 Euro in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance. But the actual cost is yeah. closer to €1,500. Euro. So there's still a massive gap. So what we're saying to governments, you know, now is the time to make 
education genuinely free at both primary and secondary level. So that means making school books free. It means properly funding schools so they don't have to ask for voluntary contributions from parents, so they don't have to fundraise. And the cost of that would be £250 million, um, to do that, to provide genuinely free primary and secondary education to every child in the country. Um, it, it seems like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's actually very good value, a very smart investment, given the long-term uh, returns you get for that. If children can go to school, they can learn the same as their, their peers from more advantaged backgrounds and they don't feel different when they are participating in education. To put that in context, the electricity credit costs uh, £370 million and uh, compared to £250 million to make school genuinely free, which would make a massive difference. That's something that we're really pushing government on in this budget. Yeah, and I know we had the summer economic statement and we spoke about it on the programme uh, this uh, week and, you know, great hopes for the next budget. But the end of September, is that that is simply too far away, particularly for the families that you're dealing with? Yeah, look, I think the, the government, we'd hope that they could act quicker, but it looks like it will be brought forward only by two weeks. Um, so it's really important that they had delivered that package of support for um, families now in terms of the increase in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance and also waiving the fees for school transport, which would be a massive relief for, for, for families, particularly in rural areas. But yeah, look, it's a very, very worrying time, but it's really important that they get the budget measures right that it's targeted towards people who are on low and fixed incomes and people who are on middle incomes who are at risk of falling into poverty. They need support as well. So some of the, the measures that we would like to see introduced, firstly, is that we increase social welfare rates ahead of projected inflation to give people that extra security to, to navigate the next year so that they can cope with rising living costs. We also want to see the fuel allowance, which is a really important form of support, um, but it's very means-tested and a lot of people who are experiencing energy poverty don't qualify for it. So expanding that to people in receipt of the working family payments, those are households on very low incomes who are in work, would make a massive difference because that would be a net income uh, gain of €1,500 over the winter months. That would be a vital form of support for those households as well. And then it's really about investing in services like housing, like healthcare and, and childcare as well, to reduce those out-of-pocket expenses that people are faced with on a weekly basis. Do you expect to see record numbers this year reaching out for help, uh, Tricia? It, it's already looking that way, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We, we've so far we've taken um, eighty over eighty thousand requests for help, and that's up in the region of twenty percent compared to last year. So, just given the scale of of the price increases that, that people are faced with. Um, and people who, who may not have had to seek our help before and get in touch and we are there, you know, our, our regional offices are there. You can also put in a request for help through our website. Um, you know, we do expect that to, to reach record levels by the end of the year because it's the winter time and back to school time when we're at our busiest and that's still to come. Okay, well, you, you're doing incredible work and it's done quietly and confidentially and uh, I'm always saying to people, you know, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed. I mean, please God, this whatever downturn you're going through at the moment will turn and then you'll be able to, to give back and help others uh, into the future. And for those, Tricia, who do have money and are not struggling at the moment, they can donate. Let's not forget your, your local conference of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. That's right. We rely on, on the generosity of the public to, to do the work that we do in communities and we're always overwhelmed by the generosity of the Irish public and it's, it's 
really so important, you know. And, and if you are in a position to donate, um, you can do so on our website or you can donate locally as well. OK. Listen, keep up the amazing work that you do at uh, VDP. And uh, we thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Dr. Tricia Keelty who is the Head of Social Justice and Policy at the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This coming Saturday, July 9th, we'll see the staging of the Galley Head Swim, which is now in its fourth year. To discuss this event and the charities that will benefit from the swim. I'm joined by one of the organisers and that's uh, Justin Crowley. Good morning to you, Justin. Good morning, Patricia. Um, thank you for having me well, on. Well, you're, you're very welcome. And I have to say, you guys have raised incredible sums of money since this first event took place in 2019. So I suppose, take me back and just talk a little bit about the origins of the swim. I know you wanted to do something in memory of your beautiful wife Alice to cancer the previous year, and just talk to me about how the swim, the first swim, came about. Um, the, the, the first swim came about um, just talking to a friend of mine, Pat Mulcahy, and he was involved in um, West Cork underwater search and rescue, and I, I believed they were a state-sponsored charity, and all the funding was coming from the government to sponsor their diesel and their petrol and all their equipment for diving. They were involved in some very important rescues like the T-Bon Ham and they were in Baltimore. And he actually told me they're all volunteers. They put their hand in their own pocket to spend their time, take time off work to do all these um, rescues. So he said, it won't continue unless they start raising funds. And then we happened to be away in Austrian holidays and a few beers on board and he, he, <laughs> he, he, he broached the subject up high in the Alps about doing a swim. So we took all our phones, we started marking out on our phones, where could we find a 10K? You know, because there was a Galway swim doing 10K, they were raising a lot of money for charity. So as we found a route anyway, we said, right, let's do it for the West Cork uh, Search and Rescue and Marymount Hospice. And basically on top of the mountain, that's where it, it, uh, it developed. And Jeffrey Richley was there with us as well. So we said, right, let's go ahead and do it this year. And so, that's how it always started. So, it's a, And that was in 2019? Uh, February 2019, yeah. Was, uh, so, and then the first swim it was like, it was for a first venture into fundraising, €17,400. Yes. So you were, you, were, you were well... Six months later. Yeah, you were well, well, well pleased with that sum of money. So you decided then what? You'll go bigger and better next year? Well, I, I, well we just said we'd organise it again and people got so enthusiastic about it that the, the following year we doubled our figures. It was up to 56,000 or something. Yeah, and then last year? Uh, last year was just incredible. Over 112,000, you know. In the middle of a pandemic? In the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> uh, I think people were locked up and they couldn't spend their money <laughs> so they were desperate to do something, you know. Now talk to me about the swim, where it starts and where it finishes. It starts in the Red Strand out in Artfield at one o'clock and it goes around the iconic Gallic head, Galley Head. It's a beautiful scenery and but you do need calm weather for it because the galley head most of the time is stormy. And once again, now this year, this is the fourth year in a row, the weather is calming down. We're going to have a gorgeous day on Saturday at 19, 20 degrees. And after the galley head, then it goes into the Long Strand, across Ona and it finishes up in the Warren Beach in Ross Garbury. 
Now, it, that's a 10k swim, isn't it? It's a 10k if you're good at going straight. It'll be longer for some people. But you'd want to be a very strong swimmer. So the, the strong swimmers will have no problem. Well, not no problem. I wouldn't say no problem, <laughs> but, you know, they'll be able to do it. But you're, you're clever in that you do relay teams. Oh, we've relay teams, yeah, anything from two to four. Yeah. People jump in and out of the boat. Like, we, we emphasise it's a swim, it's a fundraiser, it's not a race. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. it's there to be enjoyed. And that's what, obviously, with people coming back year after year, it sounds like something that people just really enjoy doing. Great day out in the sea. Um, we didn't have any after parties now the last two years, but we're going to have an after party now this year in the Kilkenny Ross Hotel, which are very kindly and sponsored the use of their facilities. And like most of the organisers run companies, but it, it, their funds are sponsoring clothing, hats, different aspects of the swim. So all funds raised go to the three charities this year. We've introduced. Um, Irish uh, community or ambulance this year as our third charity. Well done, well done. And uh, three very worthwhile charities. And, and I mean, looking at the weather forecast, we've had such a miserable summer so far. You definitely have somebody smiling down on you saying, we're going to make sure that the weather is, is OK for everybody. How many swimmers do you hope will take to the water on Saturday? Well, they're all pre-booked. So we've 25 solo swimmers. And I think we have about 52... No, 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 no sorry. There's about 102 relay team swimmers then. So about 130 swimmers in total. It must be quite a spectacle to watch. But with each group, and it's, it's amazing to watch, but with each group we have a boat. So a boat has to mind the swimmer. So we, we have 60 boats. And I must thank the boat owners and the skippers for giving their time and their petrol and their diesel to volunteer as well for this event, you know. Yeah, there's a huge amount of it's not just the swimmers in the water there's a huge amount of, of volunteers but I think the charities that you've selected and the fact that it's been so successful in previous years I think people just want to get involved Absolutely absolutely. I mean like the last couple of years now we've got kind of Hilti Rugby Club has come out and said we're going to do the barbecue at the end of the swim and they come out they organise the whole barbecue and feed the swimmers then we have lifeguards that volunteer to mind the swimmers to start and to finish um, so like it's, I mean, people are fantastic. They really are. Is it just local swimmers or do they come from all over? They're coming from all over. Dublin, Galway, um, Limerick. Um, so a quite cross-section of the community. Um, and I like that again. There's a lot of regulars, locals, repeat swimmers, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, to, uh, you're, you, you, I tell you, if entries closed at this stage, you can't take any more entries of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're, 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 you're closed. Yeah. And then the, the fundraising aspect of it, the, the people swimming, you ask them to raise money or, or is there an entry fee or how does that work? There's a minimum entry fee for the solo swimmer of 500 and for the relay teams of 1,000. But most teams and swimmers will raise a lot more than that. Obviously, now this year, it's a bit more difficult for people. You yeah. know, there's a lot more constraints. I've heard listening to your show all morning. People are feeling the pinch. So... You know, other years people might have given a 50 or given you a 10 or this year, but it doesn't make a difference. Every contribution is vital to these three charities. So whether it's one euro, 10 euros, everything helps. Irish Community Air Ambulance, Marymount and the wonderful West Cork Underwater uh, Search and Rescue. It's, it's, fa- it's fantastic. Justin, will you be taking to the water your good self? I'll be out in a boat in safety cover. <laughs> well done. Because somebody has to do that as well, says you. Absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, it's brilliant. Uh, well done. And if anybody is around the area on Saturday, as I say, quite a spectacle to watch as well. We wish each and every one of you uh, the very best of luck with it, uh, Justin, and raise oh. as much money as you can. And if you want to donate, you can go onto our Facebook page and find a GoFundMe page and, and you know, donate to one of the swimmers that are doing it. Okay, and what's the Facebook page? Um, the Galley Head Swim. Galley Head Swim. And do you give a medal at the end of it to people? We give a medal yeah. and a towel and a burger. Do you? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and the crack is free as well. And this, the crack <laughs> is free as well. Exactly. Listen, pleasure talking to you, Justin. Thanks for that. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Bye bye. Justin Crowley, one of the organisers of the Galley Head Swim. And as I say, the very best of luck to everybody taking part. It's just incredible from something that started out so small in such a short space of time, how it has grown. It really is terrific. But uh, three very worthwhile charities as well uh, will benefit. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. I can see actually a couple of texts have come in for... um, Gardening questions for Peter Dowdell. Unfortunately, Peter is not available to us uh, today, so we won't have a gardening slot today, but we will have a gardening slot next week on the programme, but we won't have one today. Now, a listener has contacted us to say, has this happened to anybody else? Hi, I'm a listener in Mill Street and I am a customer of Country Clean for bin collections. I'm just wondering, did any other customers receive an increase in their service charge in their most recent bill? The reason I'm texting is I pay every six months and I normally pay €144, but it's now gone up to €150 without any information as to why there is an increase. I've checked the website and I can't see anything about a price increase. I'd appreciate any information. And I'm I'm a customer of Country Clean and I, I... Recollection. I thought I got an email. Was there an email about price increases? I, I can't. I can't remember now. I would have to check uh, when when I go home. But I'm assuming it's the same as every other business. It's the cost of doing business has increased. And for somebody like bin companies who have to put diesel and petrol into vehicles, they certainly have seen their costs increase. I take it it's got something to do with that. But has anybody else noticed that? The recent bill in from Country Clean, 144 gone up six euro to 150 euro. Debbie Harry, lead singer with Blondie on the paper yesterday, celebrating her 70th birthday and she's looking well on it for sure. And actually when I mentioned that Lady Bridget who was 107 and I mentioned the picture that's in the Irish Times today had a picture of her and on the table beside her was the seven medals that she's received from the president. You know, she got the first one when she was 100, and then 101, 102, 103. Somebody says, well, if she's 107, she should have eight medals. And she should, so I take it there's another medal to come. <laughs> or maybe you don't get one on the 100, you only get the check. I don't know. But <laughs> well spotted. Uh, if it's a medal a year after reaching 100, she, sh- she should have received uh, at eight for sure. Thank you for pointing out my maths isn't very good today. Now, Michael's on about the goings on in 10 Downing Street and Boris Johnson. Goodness me, is this a man, a cat with nine lives? And Michael says, Patricia, two more Tories. This was earlier this morning he sent this in. Two more Tories resigned this morning. Right now, at this moment in time, it brings the number of 
resignations to 10, plus the cat. He has also given the PM the option of either he goes or he will go. What a sensible old cat. Brexit has always has been the most root of cancerous lies at number 10 from the start of Boris Johnson's election campaign. However, he's a record of being sacked from his previous jobs because he appears to be uh, and has been proven to be a serial liar. Thanking you. And that's from Michael, who then put an ad on to say, uh, just to let you know, uh, Patricia, there's more resignations. The running total about uh, half an hour ago was at 15 but I think that's now gone to 17 because there's been further resignations and Michael's updating me on all the different resignations. The latest is the Home Office Minister, Victoria Atkins, has uh, resigned. How much longer can Boris Johnson survive? I mean, he is struggling to now maintain a grip on power in Downing Street with all of these ministers and aides all continuing to quit and they're continuing to quit in protest at his leadership. And he's lost some of really high-ranking resignations came through yesterday. And what did he do? His answer to it was to quickly appoint uh, other people to the positions. It's just, it's like he is living in la-la land uh, for sure. But I think his, his hour and his day rather than his day I think it is his hour is coming and surely it has to come sooner rather than later 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text and WhatsApp to 086 103 103 we've got a break we have news at 12 midday with a reminder that we don't have Peter Dowdle uh, joining us today. He will be back with us next Wednesday, but instead a really interesting man for you to meet who in his retirement decided not just to sit back, kick back and do nothing. He decided to get on his bicycle and he'd cycle from his home in Crosshaven and go all the way to Baritz in France. He'll outline his story to us all coming up in the next hour along with a lot of commentary uh, coming in on various issues to the programme. We'll bring you all of that after news at 12 midday. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lot of texts and calls coming in. Can I go to some of your texts uh, first? And thank you to somebody when I played Blondie and Debbie Harry and I said that I thought I saw it on the paper yesterday that she was 70. Somebody said, Patricia, Debbie Harry is actually 77. God, she's looking well. For 77, she really is. And then, of course, I mentioned that lady who's making the papers today, Bridget Tierney from Loch Duff in County Cavan, pictured in the Irish Times uh, this morning, celebrating her 107th birthday. Somebody says, Patricia, can I ask you, please? The lady who's celebrating her 107th birthday, was she born on the 5th or the 6th of July? I'm assuming it was the 5th because the picture, the, the caption on the photograph says, Bridget pictured on her 107th birthday so I, do I take it that was taken yesterday because she's got all her cards out around her so she was probably born uh, yesterday the 5th of July also text her who is the oldest lady in Ireland? Well, during the news, I did a bit of Google searching, see if I could find out. Now, this is up to last year, so I don't know if this is still relevant or not. But last year, in 2021, the honour of the oldest person in Ireland, it happens to be a woman, 107-year-old Elizabeth Heaney. She is from Ballina Hinch and she took up the title last year of the oldest person in Ireland and that was following the passing of another woman who was 107, a woman in Limerick by the name of Annie Kett and a Mary Burning Kildare was 108. So Elizabeth Heaney in County Down, if bless her heart if she's still with us, she's heading for her 108th birthday 
this year but up to last year she was deemed the oldest person in uh, Ireland. Some of your calls coming in but cost of living and all of that. Uh, Patricia Miho Martin is great to praise charities the likes of our own Cork Penny Dinners of the Society of Vincent de Paul but why are these charities even running in this country? It's because of, because of bad decisions made by governments according to John. I listened to my grandfather saying the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and then I listened to my father saying it 25 years ago and now I find I'm saying it again today fact 25 years on says uh, John and listen we all like to point the finger blame and say everything that's going wrong is all down to the government but really there are some things that they had no power over I mean COVID and the pandemic and what's happening in the Ukraine and the price of oil going up on the world market there's a lot of things they can control but there's a lot of things they can't control and I'm the first one to say if a wrong decision is made by the government but we can't blame totally the finger of blame for what's going on worldwide we can't blame that all uh, on the Irish government and then on electricity charges Una says morning Patricia I have been looking at my electric Ireland bill and I'm trying to cut down on unit use etc and I've noticed the standing charge has jumped by about 100%. Mine has gone from approximately €20 to €40. That's on a two-month bill. I wonder why we have to pay this charge on top of the price of fuel. And then we've got VAT. This charge just doesn't seem to be standing very still, especially as mine has actually doubled. I wonder what it's all for. It's another hidden charge. Also, what is the PSO levy? That has come out at about €10 on my bill. What is that all about? All these extra charges are on top of the actual unit price and the electricity that you are using. And by the way, says Una, my country clean bill uh, definitely went up as well uh, recently. It is endless, says Una. Okay, I can give you some explanations. None of us like to pay those standing charges. The standing charge. The standing charge is a fixed amount that's added on top of your tariff rate and it's to cover the energy supplier's fixed costs. It's a cost that you pay or it's a cost that we pay for the energy company supplying our house with the power. Standing charges are normally applied on a per day basis and the daily charge will remain the same no matter how much energy you use. Well there's our owner uh, saying hers has doubled in price and then the PSO levy which is the one that always infuriates uh, people that was actually introduced by the government. It's a subsidy charge to all electricity customers in Ireland. Now it was originally designed by the Irish government to support the national policy objectives related to renewable energy and indigenous fuels example peat and security of supply and that's when the PSO levy came in I remember at the time having discussions with consumer groups when it came in and they were raging over it because you know people felt you've, there's nothing you can do with the standing charge you have to pay it and that's paid in order for the energy supplier for their fixed costs and obviously they do have fixed costs but the PSO lev- levy certainly is something that the government now could take a look at and say well let's waiver it particularly with energy bills so high and by the way um, uh, thank you for your text Una by the way we've had a couple of calls in from permanent TSB 
customers uh, to say they have been able to access their banking online through their app. So we got on to permanent TSB who says we are aware of an app issue, but it seems to be only impacting Android device customers, which may require a password reset and that will be done through their automated self-service. So there is an issue this morning for people, but just those that are trying to access permanent TSB on an Android device. 0818 103, 103. John Paul taking your calls uh, also into us. Angela, just thinking there, Patricia, seeing that you've touched on and have spoken about the shortage of priests around the country, there must be a lot of priests' houses vacant at the moment, which could be used to house, if not our own homeless and desperately in need of housing. Could it not be used for some of the refugees that are coming in from the Ukraine? After all, I never saw a priest living in a tiny house. Many of those houses are big houses, said Angela, and could actually house a large family. I don't know if the church has handed any of their empty priests' houses over or not for housing. Anybody living in an area, are there many priest houses locked up at the moment with nobody living in them? Particularly, we were talking about the parish of Cork and Ross and down in West Cork, the number of parishes that now they don't have a resident priest. So I'm assuming the priest house is it now lying vacant. 0818 103 103. Eileen on the cost of living, says Patricia, listening about the cost of living. People have to realise the government don't seem to be listening and they're heading off. Now, Eileen said on their 10 or 12 week holiday, we spoke about their summer holiday yesterday. I think Sean Defoe said it's a six week summer break. Uh, they've shortened that summer break to what it used to be. Anyway, they are, but they are heading off on a lengthy holiday, even though TDs will say they will still work just because the doll isn't closed. But anyway, Eileen says they only seem to listen when people get out on the street and uh, pro- uh, protest. They really need to put people first, then health and then all other projects on the back of that. We can't keep going the way we're going at the moment, says Eileen. And you do have a point on when people take to the street and do they listen? I mean, just think about the think about what happened with the water charges. Everyone was paying, well not everybody a cohort of people were paying water charges and then there was a large cohort of people who said no way were they paying for water and they took to the streets and they reversed the decision on water charges. So does people power work, Eileen? Absolutely, absolutely it does. Back to the funerals and the problems with lack of priests down West Corkway. And it's not just down West Corkway. This is a nationwide issue. This is really sad. Now, I don't know what part of the city or county this text is coming from. But a listener says, hi, Patricia, we had no funeral for my dad. We couldn't even get a priest for the rosary. So hard heads are on that. And that if that is, I'd love you if you want to give me more information on that. Where where are you? No funeral. I mean, I've heard of funeral masses being delayed because a priest wasn't available. I've never heard of somebody actually being couldn't have a funeral mass at all. Was told, you know, not even that they had to wait for it, but that they couldn't have a fu- have a funeral at all. I'm really surprised by that. If you want to give me a little bit more information on that, please do. Patricia, the Pope needs to cop on and allow for women priests and then let the priests that are there, let them marry uh, if they wish, if they want a Catholic church to remain that's what they're going to have to do. And hi, Patricia, would you just say a big thank you to Karen? Karen is one of the officers in the Citizens Information Advice Bureau in Mallow. I got the number from your slot on the medical card issue on Monday and I rang them. 
what a helpful and informative service. Listen, thank you for that. I know who sent that in. You don't have to tell me that. I'm always singing the praises of the Citizens Information Service. And I know John Paul would back me up on this. It is probably their website. They have a fantastic website. It's probably the website we go to the most when, you know, a query comes in from a listener and we're trying to find out the answer uh, for them quick Google search on citizens information it's just and do you know the one thing that always blows me away with citizens information is how quick they are to update the information and I don't know there's got to be more than one person doing that because I know for example around budget time or whenever the government make any kind of, of an announcement they update that website so quickly it's just incredible o- other companies I tell you could learn a lot about how a website works and works efficiently and effectively the Citizen Information Bureau is incredible and the guys and gals who work in all of the offices are another bunch of very informative people so it doesn't surprise me to see that text come in to say how helpful and uh, informative they were so well done to Karen one of the offices at Citizen Information in Mallow take a bow 0818 103 103 you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See corkcoco.ie. Van Cemetery Mass, that's going ahead this evening. That's at half past seven. While there's a Mass in honour of St. Peel, that's in St. Joseph's Church in Lismire. That's also tonight, eight o'clock start. Everyone is very welcome. The Garden of John and Sandra Stone, Milton Lodge, Curabeni, will be open to the public this coming Saturday from two to six in the afternoon. And it's a native Marymount Hospice and the Holy Trinity Restoration Fund. And there's a fundraising event in aid of the Community Air Ambulance next Sunday. It's the Balancholic Vintage Motor Club are running it, starting with cars and a coffee morning at Balancholic Rugby Club. That's from half past 10 to half past 12. And then they will depart to Rathcool Aerodrome at one o'clock. And afterwards, they'll go on to Mill Street for an optional dinner. Now, it's been sponsored by John O'Reardon Garden Machinery in Balancholic. The entry fee is €50 euro and the 20-year rule applies. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. By the way, my apologies if I don't get around to all of your texts today, but we do read them all, but there's just literally too many of them coming in today. But let me take a look at another bunch of them. Heidi says, Patricia, we are the listeners texting into your show almost on a daily basis to tell you how we're feeling and what hardships people are going through but I wonder at times are the government getting it I don't expect it touches them as they're on good salaries and they don't struggle like the lads and lassies on the street many people are working hard just to keep their heads above water prices are too high in all aspects of our lives now here in Ireland something needs to be done about it and actually somebody uh, thank you for that Heidi somebody was saying I wonder if the price of alcohol has gone up in price I was in a supermarket recently late evening and all I seemed to see was trolleys full of alcohol there was no food in any of those trolleys they must be giving it away says a texter and Rose says what the new what the people need to do is go back to the old fashioned way of mend and make do that doesn't seem to exist anymore generations ago that's exactly what happened people need to cop on savings can be made 
And here's what you're talking of. Savings can be made. Listen to this in from Breed. This is Patricia. You were talking about bin uh, collections. We actually stopped using a bin collection company. We did it a number of years ago because the cost just seemed to be increasing. And at one stage, it was gone to over 300 euro a year. And we said enough. We decided to take our rubbish to the Civic Amenity Centre, the one on the Kinsale Road in Cork City. It's five euro per bag of rubbish. We usually only have about one bag of rubbish a week, sometimes maybe two. I know that larger families might have more, but at five euro a bag, we're able to get rid of our rubbish. Also, our cardboard, our paper, our plastic, our tins, that all goes for recycling. It is excellent value. So if you went twice a month at five euro, that would work out at 120 euro for the full year. Even if you were to even if you were to double that to 10 euro twice a month, it would work out at 240 euro a year. That's a huge difference and it's a saving to you. You pay on entry and then you get a receipt, which is important that you have the receipt to show how you're disposing of your rubbish, by the way. But you get a receipt for the amount that you pay. Also, I must say, they are so pleasant and helpful in the Civic Community site on the Kinsale Road in Cork. It is worth a try. And there are Civic Community uh, sites. Now, Breed mentions McCroom and Bandon. There's even more than that, uh, Breed. The Civic Community sites dotted right across the uh, county. And, you know, when people are trying to save money, it is another way uh, to do it. The only thing is, you do have to have transport. And I'm waiting for somebody to say that's all well and good. But if you live a good distance, away from your local civic community site you have to put petrol or diesel in the car but I think even allowing for that based on Breed's figures there are certainly savings to be made there thank you for that uh, Breed Hi Patricia why aren't primary and secondary schools being used to house the Ukrainian refugees that are arriving surely they're lying idle until September I don't know how suitable schools primary schools and secondary schools would be because you'd have to have showers I mean I know they don't have toilets would they have cooking facilities I mean certainly what has been used Used. The college accommodation has been uh, used. There is going to be a problem in probably around the middle of August because most of the student accommodation is being used to house Ukrainian refugees. But there'll be a problem then because the refugees will have to leave because, of course, the students will be coming back to go to uh, college. But I just don't know the suitability of using schools. Some community centres certainly have been used, but they're the ones that have showers and have kitchens for cooking facilities uh, as well. 0818103103. And hi, Patricia, you were on about jobs earlier when you were calling out the jobs on your job link uh, slot with the country crying out for carpenters and electricians and all of the other trades. I've tried a dozen companies looking to do an apprenticeship. I'd like to become an apprenticed electrician. A lot of them haven't even replied or acknowledged my CV. I'm wondering what is going on. If there are any big, genuine companies looking for apprenticeships, why are they not even acknowledging and why are they not even advertising? It's very disheartening for young people trying to get a job. So let's put that out there. Can anybody point this uh, young young person in the direction somebody trying to do an apprenticeship is there not a website that you can go on to for apprenticeships I'll, I'll do a bit of research this afternoon on on that I know uh, when we do when we usually have our career guidance advice slot I'm sure apprenticeships and a website has been mentioned let me put let me put my thinking cap on about that uh, later on but in the meantime there has to be other people listening to the program today who have recently got an apprenticeship or know of somebody who went down the route of going for an apprenticeship if you can offer any advice to somebody who's been really really trying hard sending out lots of CVs and it's 
it's awful when you don't even get an acknowledgement and I know some companies will say that they get so many people applying either for a job or for an apprenticeship that literally they don't have the staff in order to acknowledge everybody but it is very disheartening if you're one of those people that has sent out countless amounts of uh, CV and got not getting an acknowledgement and surely when you can you know you, you're able to send out CVs and submit them online and now it, it isn't the case of where a letter has to be actually physically the old days of a letter typed up put in an envelope and posted out. I mean, surely it can all be done electronically now and, and done uh, over the internet if, if somebody has emailed a, a company. But anyway, let's put it out there and see advice for somebody who wants to do, desperately wants to do an apprenticeship. Now, in particular, it's an, elect- an electrical apprenticeship this person wants to do. But if anybody has, can give any advice or help to that person, can you let us know? 0818 uh, John Paul taking the calls or you can text our WhatsApp to 086 103103. And then someone else was on by WhatsApp to say, Patricia, did you see the pandemic led to a baby boom? I did. These are the figures that are out. The birth rate in Ireland increased for the first time in 12 years last year. And the statisticians are suggesting that the COVID-19 pandemic may have led to a baby boom. Now, they are the figures that are out from the National Women and Infants Health Programme. Their annual report is out and it shows that the national birth rate rose by 6.5% on the previous year and yesterday, or yesterday, last year, 60,551 babies were born in Ireland and that, we're told, was the first increase in the rate since 20, since 2009. So 12 years ago, the first increase. And speaking about the statistics, the director of the programme said the increased birth rate created additional pressures, obviously, on our maternity services last year and that all 19 maternity units saw an increase in births. Now, the increase ranged. Some of our maternity hospitals saw just a 1% increase, but some of our maternity units, and I'm thinking, I don't know, if our one here in Cork, is it the city ones, saw in excess of a 20% increase in babies being born last year. And obviously last year, you're talking 2021, there was a particular challenge in ensuring access for partners was facilitated uh, despite the high levels of restrictions that were going on in hospitals at various stages due to the pandemic. So that brought with it its own particular challenges. But despite the challenges, the maternity service performed very well and continued to keep our little babies and our mums and the staff all safe. But yes, it does look like that the pandemic led to a baby boom. And I straight away, when I see those figures, they're there in black and white. The evidence is there. Central Statistics Office certainly will have all those. The births, deaths and marriages will have all of those records. Are they now planning in five years time when those little babies will be needing, well, four years time, will be needing to go to school. And then in 12 years time, they'll be needing to go to secondary school and on into college. We need to start putting the plans in place when we know that our population is increasing and we know that more babies are being born. And just on the subject of babies being born, not everybody wants to have a baby now. And for that reason, legislation allowing for free contraception for women aged 17 to 25, that will come before the doll today, according to the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly. Now, this was the measure that is going to allow for the free... Con- now, it's just 17 to 25 years will be able to get free contraception 
contraception. That actually got announced in last October's budget. It'll have to go through the Senate, but it's expected to pass smoothly there. And it will be obviously one less expense then for younger women later on this year as the cost of living abides. So it's it's slowly progressing through the door. But again, it's one of those pieces of legislation. Why has it taken so long um, and even while it's while it's getting mentioned uh, today and Stephen Donnelly bringing it bringing the legislation today and then it'll go through the Senate they're saying it'll be later in the year I, I don't know when I still don't have a date or a time on that but it will possibly be a full year from when it was announced before it gets introduced for the 17 to 25 year olds they will have access to free contraception 0818 103 103 our lines remain open Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. With some time on his hands, having recently retired, my next guest decided rather than sitting down with pipe and slippers that he'd get on his bike and he'd cycle from his hometown in Crosshaven to Baritz in France. And to tell me more, the man known as Paddy the Peddler, Podrick Healy, uh, joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Podrick. Oh, hello, Podrick. Can you hear me? Oh, his line has gone... OK, let's we'll get uh, John Paul to get uh, Podrick back on the line because I'm really interested in having a chat with uh, Podrick. James of Watergrass Hill was on about the apprenticeship and the person who contacted us about the apprenticeship says tell that person to keep an eye out on the ESB Networks site as they look for electrical apprenticeships and they offer them at various points of the year. Also, some of the pharma, com- pharma companies like Biomarin do apprenticeships and some recruitment agencies that deal with electrical apprenticeships would be good to get in contact as well as they would know about upcoming programmes at the moment. For example, Johnson & Johnson are looking for electrical instrumentation apprenticeships. OK, so there are vacancies out there. I'm told Podrick is with me. Uh, good afternoon, Podrick. Good afternoon, Patricia. Y- your line just dropped out and you disappeared on me. I thought you were gone back to Baritz. No, no, no. I'm, I'm safely home now. No, I'm back here. Okay. Yeah, anyway, talk away. Okay. Now, I, I need to start at the beginning. You, when, when I said you recently retired, you actually retired about three years ago. Talk to me about that first. How did you feel about retiring? Were you ready for it? Uh, I, I retired in 2019. And was it something you were looking forward to doing, retiring? Uh, yes. Uh, in many ways, uh, but I was ill-prepared for it, which is ironic, considering in a previous job I had run pre-retirement courses for people and I thought it was all set up and, you know, but um, I think uh, for anybody retiring, you have to go through the experience despite any amount of planning you put into it, you know. Did you find that you were getting bored with having that much time on your hands? So, so did I read you decided to take a part-time job? Uh, yeah, I suppose for the first six months or so I was at a loose end and uh, uh, trying to, I suppose, reinvent yourself, which is what you, everybody, I think we need to do when we retire. I had worked for 20 years with the National Learning Network in Holly Hill, had a fantastic job with a great team of people. 
Um, and then suddenly on a Monday morning, <clears throat> that was all gone. So um, I suppose it's about reinventing yourself when you retire and um, establishing, you know, what you're good at, what you're interested in, and uh, how to make use of that, you know, for the rest of your life. Mm. So you, you got a part-time job in a local supermarket? Yeah, uh, I took up a part-time job with uh, Lynch's Centre in Crosshaven, uh, which is fantastic. I'm a delivery driver. Uh, I went from being an area manager with NLN in Holly Hill to delivering pizzas <laughs> and groceries during the week. And it was brilliant because I got to know um, a whole community of people, both the people working in the shop, which are fantastic. And as I'm out and about delivering groceries and pizzas, you're meeting all kinds of people. So that was really important, you know, just widening out uh, the network and establishing a new social network. But that wasn't um, enough. You also took to volunteering. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've volunteered all my life, you know, which I think is a really important you know, part of any community. You know. I started off as a volunteer English teacher in Zanzibar after I left UCC. Um, I volunteered in China and other parts of the world. Uh, so, yeah, I signed up with a loan. I, I'm a volunteer with a loan now and befriending uh, a gentleman um, that, you know... Um, we have great times together, and that's really rewarding for me as well. Um, and um, I decided to try and pick up the mandolin. I play the fiddle, but I thought, yeah, try to learn to play the mandolin as well. So how's how's that going? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. I'm too busy. I have no time to practice. I see. That's the problem. So then you decided you were going to cycle to Paris. When did that? plan hit you? Um, I suppose over, around Christmas, over Christmas last year, you know, I, I had found this new routine and um, was very happy in that, you know, doing my deliveries, you know, meeting my friend through alone. And, um, but I still, um, I've been traveling all my life, I suppose, you know, I've traveled many parts of the world and there's a niche there that will never go away. So, um, I suddenly announced to the family around Christmas that I'm going to cycle from one end of France to the other. And they all raised their eyebrows and said, oh, yeah, yeah, he'll do it. Uh, you have to be single-minded about these things. Um, I think um, I'm 68 years of age now, and people said, Dad, you're mad. You'll never be able to do that. And the family were all worried. But I think uh, that's the other thing I would say to people who are retiring and taking on new challenges. Just be single-minded. Uh, just you know, set yourself some challenges that you know you can achieve and go for it. But you're obviously uh, very fit. I'm fit enough, yeah. yeah. I suppose I've been fit all my life, thanks to God. Yeah, I'm in good health. Um, but, you know, people, uh, 1,200 kilometres, that's an awful long distance. But in a way, when you put it into context, uh, you know, God rest her, Devla Murphy died there a couple of months ago, aged 90. That woman cycled to India um, she did, yeah. Incredible woman. At 35, yeah. with no gears on the bike. All the gears off the bike because she knew that, you know, they couldn't be maintained when she was in Afghanistan and India. Um, so, and she was cycling 100 miles, 120 miles a day, if anybody reads her book, uh, Full Tilt. So what I was doing was 
the max I did was 70 or 80 kilometres. You're sure, sure yours was a dawdle. You're, and you were in civilised countries. If you got a puncture, you could get it fixed. Yeah, I never got a puncture. <laughs> did I you not? On the bus bike. I'll give you a few verses of it before you finish. Okay. But, uh, okay. I had a grand bike. Yeah, no punctures. But yeah, uh, it, was very, it was very doable. And your, your wife... Cycled, Hillary. Hillary cycled with you for for a part of it. Well, um, I'm a solo traveller um, primarily. I love travelling solo um, because it's a completely different experience. You know, um, when you're a solo traveller, you any mistakes you make or any wrong direction you take, it's your own fault. It's down to yourself, um, and you meet people in a completely different way. But uh, I love travelling with Hillary. As I say, you know, we've been married 34 years. We've travelled uh, far and wide. So Hillary joined me in Bordeaux. Hillary's uh, teacher, when he came to half-term, Hillary flew out to Bordeaux. Uh, I joined her there, and then we spent uh, the next 10 days cycling from Bordeaux to Arcachon on the Atlantic coast. Took a left turn there and um, yeah, cycled for the next week uh, down to Biarritz. Yeah. And was it very different cycling with Hillary as opposed to cycling on your own? Oh, yeah, completely, yeah. yeah. Uh, because I couldn't keep up with her, number one. <laughs> uh, uh, Hillary is very fit and active as well. Oh, is she? Um, okay. and, and she was worried that she wouldn't be able to keep up with me. She was kind of apprehensive as well that, oh, he's been cycling on his own now for 10 days. Um, <laughs> what will it be like when I join him? But no, we've been we've been together for so long and travelled uh, far and wide. It was great to, to uh, you know be with company again. Yeah. But um, on the other hand, you know it's fantastic cycling on your own as well as a solo person because it's a completely different experience. You relate to people, you know, and they relate to you. You know, they see you pushing a bike down the road in the pouring rain. They say, "Oh, look at that poor old man there. I'll give him a cup of tea or something." So yeah, um, and what was the weather like? Month it was the month, it was the entire month of April. You I was were very away. lucky. Yeah, I was very. Lucky. I started off in April in Roscoff, and arrived off the off the Brittany ferries in Roscoff, and it was a bit like being in in Kerry. I'm from uh, Glenfleskin County, Kerry originally. It was a bit like home, you know, howling gales and wind and rain, and the ferry didn't dock for half an hour because the weather was so inclement. So. But I had plenty of rain gear. Uh, the first couple of days, well, the first day, I suppose, was fairly rough because I hadn't done anything like this before. And I was still apprehensive, you know, am I up for this? Uh, but once I got over the first day or two, the hills in Brittany and the rain and the wind and whatever, I thought, yeah. I can do this. this. I can do it, yeah. And where did you stay along the way? Well, uh, that's a good point. Uh, I bought a tent. And the idea was that I would camp all the way. And the one flaw in my planning was I didn't realise that in France, campsites don't open in April. <laughs> you didn't check that in advance, no? <laughs> I didn't. Well, I kind, of did, I kind of did, but I didn't look into it. I thought truly there'll be one or two campsites open, but there hadn't. OK. Um, the French are very organised, not like us, you know, where, where a fellow turns up with a tent and says, ah, pitch it over there. So... Um, to the question of Airbnbs and cheap hotels and the rest of it, because I was on a budget, you know, I'm okay. retired now, trying to live on a limited budget. But um, um, 
but I managed to find well done, well, well done. And and of course, more than outside of it being an, you know an amazing adventure and what a great achievement uh, to to cycle from Crosshaven to Baritz, there was a fundraising aspect of it, and and you did it for yeah. the the Greater Chernobyl cause, Fiona Corcoran's group. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Um, no, as I say, the, the plan for the trip started around um, uh, Christmas of, of 2021, 2022, and then the war broke out in Ukraine and. Um, I suppose for everyone in 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 Ireland and and Europe, you know, that changed everything for us. So um, then we took in a family from Ukraine here in in, in Crosshaven, Olena and her son Lev, and they came to stay with us um, the end of March. Um, they settled in really well. They've moved on now. They've moved on with their lives, but they stayed with us for two or three months, and. Um, you know, I was suggested to me, look at Paddy, while you're doing the cycle, would you not raise money for, and I thought immediately, Ukraine, you know. Yeah. Um, and then got on to Fiona um, and the greatest Chernobyl cause and thought, look, that's a fantastic cause. I supported them over the years. I have so much admiration for them. Uh, so, yeah, so that's why on my website, paddythepeddler.com, there's a link to... Um, uh, if people want to, uh, to donate, add a few bob. Although I do recognise, Trisha, you know, it's a tough time for everyone. Yeah, unfortunately. Un- uh, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've raised nearly a thousand euro. If I can get up to 1200, which will be one, one euro for every kilometre, I'll be delighted. Well but I recognise, you know, we're, uh, everyone in the country is struggling at the moment financially. Um, so, um, yeah, I raised some money as I went along for the greater Chernobyl cause, yeah. You're terrific. You're, you really are a terrific guy. Would you ever consider writing a book? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've got lots of books in my head, but... Uh, you've, you've a, you have a fantastic... I've only scratched the surface of what you have gotten up to in your life. I think you've got a great book in your body. Thanks very much. Yeah, you, yeah, you, well, that's encouragement. Yeah, I need to kick up the bum well, every now and again. Well, actually yeah, well you're, you're so busy as well. You're just so busy as well. But I, I love I love your positive attitude on retirement. And I think the key to it, and you, you touched on it, is routine. It's getting some kind of a routine going yes. when you do yeah, retire. Yeah. yeah. And, and if that routine uh, becomes a bit mundane, then change the routine. Yeah. You know? You don't necessarily have to cycle from Roscoff to Beeritz, but <laughs> just change the routine. And and I think it's about reinventing ourselves and, and continuing to do that as we retire, you know. Um, you know, I reinvented myself, as I say, from becoming a manager to a pizza driver, then cycling to, to Beeritz. And just uh, set yourself a challenge, I think. One challenge every year is what I, uh, you know, have set myself. I mean, the first one I did was... Um, before Christmas of last year, I signed up with my daughter, Laura, who's a lot fitter and healthy than I am. And we did the Quest Kinmare Adventure Challenge, which is 35 kilometers running and cycling and stuff. I'd never done anything like that before. Um, I'd never do it again. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was knackered at the end of it. But uh, it was, that was another challenge, you know, and I think it's about you know, setting yourself one challenge every year. It's about, and it's about pushing yourself. Pushing yourself a little bit beyond your boundaries, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. But there is because a, there is a, bi- there is a big, uh, beautiful world out there. And some people, uh, yeah. Paddy, fear retirement so much that they don't, need, they don't need to. Absol- they don't need to. No way. Um, but 
I would say uh, that accept that it's fearful and experience the fear for a while, but don't let that tear. Um, and then it's about just getting up out of the bed, getting up off of the chair in the morning, saying, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to do something different next week or whatever. And take it gradually, but accept, I think, that the process of fear and uncertainty and all of that, it's part of the process. Yeah. Don't be afraid of that. Listen, you're amazing. I could talk to you all day. Unfortunately, I have to, I have to wrap it up there. It's a real pleasure. I have a feeling we will speak again, uh, Podrick, in okay. the meantime. Thank you for that. And thanks for taking time out to talk to us today. A pleasure. Good Thank morning you to you. Bye bye. Good afternoon as it is now. That is uh, Patrick Healy, a.k.a. Paddy the Peddler. What a fantastic man. And thank you to Teresa, who's just contacted the programme to say yesterday, I happened to mention that the Marie Keating, you know, the mobile unit that gives information on uh, cancer, happened to mention that it was parked up at the Mart in Cantork. And Teresa said she just happened to be sitting in the car. Radio was on. She heard me say it. And she just, she was in Cantork, so she decided to pop in. And she just wanted to say she went along and it was fantastic as she came out feeling reassured so she was glad that she was in the car at the right moment to hear that message and so are we uh, Teresa uh, and thank you for taking time out to let us know that today okay that's where I've got to leave you for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock on to the line Patricia Messenger very good afternoon Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company united healthcare insurance plans offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more one of these plans may be right for you if you're say between jobs coming off your parents plan turning a side hustle into a full hustle or even missed open enrollment Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.